podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Sugar, Silk and Stretch, a unique boxing podcast brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. My name is Ben Doughty. I'm Gary Stretch. And looking, Gary Stretch, no doubt, but looking rather Morrissey-esque this evening, uh, Gary. I can't help noticing. Uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but I'll take it either way. Well, you know what? It's, I'm trying to think. If I was Gary Stretch, would I consider it a compliment? I, I, it would be two-pronged, I would say, because he's not as classically handsome as you are, and you could take it, you know, being likened to some legendary geek celibate kind of spokesperson of the disenfranchised, you could say, no, that's not me. I'm Gary Stretch, the guy that got all the girls and has been the famous actor and the boxer and I'm very un-Morrissey-esque, actually. But on another hand, you could say, no, you know, it's uh, you could be flattered by the fact that he's uh, a legend and a poet and a, a massive intellectual and all the rest of it. It's it's your call. I'll, I'll take it either way. Okay. Coming, from, coming from you. Where's Silk? Uh, Silk, he's not with us to, uh, t- today because, I mean, you could argue... I mean, he's seldom with us in a, in a you know in a kind of uh, cerebral sense anyway, because he seems to be on his own planet most of the time, does he not? But um, no, the silk is a, is a little tied up today, as it were. So we will pass on without him and and do the show as best we can. It's do you know what it is? It's it's always quiet when there's two of us. Me and him, we do it. It's very nice and quiet. I imagine you and I would be the pretty similar kind of vibe. It's when the three of us are on, it's chaos. Of course, yeah. Uh... The clash of personalities that I enjoy. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, me and you have more of a, well, it's a different podcast of me and you. But anyway, what's this discussion of the week? I know we're talking about the uh, Canelo. Canelo. Uh, also, there's the Josh Taylor uh, fight, which is an interesting uh, fight coming up. Um, yes. Which I did revisit then um, because we'll I. Talk about that first. Yeah, and I thought you you may have some notes. I know I know I haven't discussed it. Uh, I don't think you have. Not certainly not with me. But you know, it's funny. Josh Taylor got hammered, and they all said he got beat and he lost this and lost that. You know, I watched the fight really carefully. Yeah. And if I was a judge, I would have given it to Josh Taylor, and I'd say for why. It wasn't even about who won the rounds. It was about I would have disqualified. Uh, Cattle. Cattle, because I've never <coughs> seen anyone hold so much in a fight. Josh Taylor tried so hard to have a fight. He was trying to get in the in the in you know in in the gap and get in the pocket and fight. He did everything he could to have a fight, and uh, Cattle just completely held, 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 held. Like I've never seen. It was a wrestling match, and t- and all Taylor did. I, I don't know how he survived. He must have been exhausted. He, the biggest battle he was trying to get out and fight. He got cut. He got smashed with the head. He got headlocked about 50 times. The referee warned him 50 times. And I just thought Taylor tried to go and have a fight and um, and wasn't allowed to have a fight. And I, I would not, as a person, and I'm English, and it's an Englishman, and I'm patriotic, but as, as a person, I, I cannot give a fight to someone who... So negative. Just held so much and never, ever, ever engaged. He'd have little pockets and words very successful. And if he'd have done that more, all, all credit to him. But he never tried to fight at all. He held, 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 held. And 
that's not the way to become an undisputed world champion or a, a multi belt world champion. That that for me would be completely wrong. Uh, and it's not like he had a game plan, he, he, like to to do to nullify. If you have a game plan to nullify another fighter by shutting him down somehow or, or stepping out one outside of the, the the leg and keep him off balance, that's one thing. That's skill boxing. But when you just grab him, hold, hang on for dear life, non-stop, and don't allow a fight to ever start, that's not how you become a multi-belt world champion. So I, I'm glad that it is what it is. I'm glad there's a rematch. And the funny thing is, if I was um, Taylor, I would take a completely different approach to this fight. I would fight on the back foot. I'd make Catchwell come to him because he never came to him for a second. It was Taylor pushed to push to push, almost yeah. desperate trying to have a fight. And the fight never happened. And um, I, if I was Taylor now, I, would, I think, and he might do this, he may just absolutely try and outbox him because I think he can. I think he has the speed, he has the power, and I think if he goes on the back foot, says the castle, come, let's come, take my title. You know, make him come and have. Well, a there is no title. Let's be clear on that, Gary. No, but come and there is no title. Yeah, come and take. You know, the fight. Yeah, come and take what's mine. Get the if he beats Taylor, he's in an incredible position. But he's going to have to come and, and beat him. And if I was Taylor, I'd now make Castle come and have a fight rather yeah. than just. Well, you say he's in an incredible position if he beats Taylor. No doubt it'll be a feather in his cap and he'll, he'll consider it closure. But Taylor right now is, it, it's, it's, his stock is not as high as it was. He was beaten comprehensively enough by Tiafimo, um Lopez, right? So that's Taylor, to have a fighter to be beat with. Sure. That's, but some people are suggesting that Taylor is, is over the hump. And that's why, you know, they said this, the writing was on the wall against Catterall, which is actually oh, well over a year ago now, that fight, wasn't it? Um, two years ago, I think. Um, and, you know, the, people are saying that Josh is not what he used to be and perhaps he's had a short prime, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if Catterall does beat him, people will continue to solidify that narrative. I shouldn't wonder that, that Taylor's kind of done everything he was going to do. You know what I mean? I don't know if he's on the slide. I think the biggest issue with Taylor is the weight. Yeah, uh, and they're fighting again at 140. Again. And I think, and Taylor, credit to him, because he didn't want to move up the weight and make it, he wanted to be, you know, let's go back to the way it was and do it the way it is. And and he wants to, I think he wants the victory with good merit. He doesn't want to change anything. He'll do it again. He said he can make the weight. I know he struggles. But uh, all credit to Taylor for that because I know it's not going to suit him. But uh, I think he knows now how to beat the guy uh, and certainly not go looking for him like he did because he didn't get anywhere looking for him last time. No. Um, for what it's worth, I thought he probably lost the first fight. I, I appreciate your take on it and your your value base attached to why you're glad he did, that Catrol wasn't awarded the decision. And I will stress, I didn't score it. I didn't sit there scoring round by round. And I do think that's important. It's all very well for us to give our opinions and overview of a fight and our philosophy on this and that. But if we don't score it, I, I never, I never, I would never chain myself to the railings on a verdict if I didn't score it with pen and paper. This is the problem I have with the silk sometimes when he said, he, he'll go into a whole thing about why, why Lomachenko is diffused and beaten by um, Devin Haney. When I think of Lomachenko as Rob Blind, um, but Michael will say he didn't score it. He'll just say, oh, I, I watched it and I gave an overall opinion, but that that is no good. And, and I sometimes think, People who box at the highest level, like yourself and Michael, I'm not accusing you of this on this occasion, sometimes people of that nature 
they think that they're not, they're, their experience supersedes any need to actually score it like, like ordinary judges. And I think you have to score it. Having said that, I hope Josh wins a rematch, you know. I really do, because I'm nothing against Catterall, but I think Josh is a better fighter than Jack. I think Jack just made him look horrible, like you say. And I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Jones either, so you could throw that in the mix as well, in terms of the rooting for you, Team Scotland. You know, if I was scoring the fight, um, yeah. I would have, even though the ref didn't take points off him, um, yeah. Catterall, I, I would have in my book. I, 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 you know, in my my as a, if I was a, you know, a referee judge, I would, I would look at the merit. Okay, he got caught with three. He hit Taylor with three shots more, but for three minutes, Taylor, he held Taylor and wouldn't fight him and and, and spoiled and just and that's for me not a way to win a round. If you won't engage or you won't, I I can't give you that round. It's like you've got at some point you've got to have a fight, and um. And he never, and I, and I, I just, I just, I, I watched it, and I, I was so um, neutral. Yeah. I, I just thought, but I was, I was, I felt terrible for Josh Taylor the way he tried so hard to just, you know, fight, and 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 he was putting himself at a lot of risk doing it because, you know, he he was like balls out trying to have a fight, and there was no fight going to happen that night, and it's the way that he shut Taylor down, the way he held him. Clashing their heads, banging him, grabbing him every second, and it was just a horrible way to win a fight. And for, for me, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm glad it's going to go again. This so I'm nothing rematch. against Russell, but if you're going to win it and and take the credit off Taylor and be hailed as the better fighter, then go and beat him in in an earnest way. Don't take it off him by the way. Last last time, I would not feel good about or or even give him the credit of what he did. If yeah. you can beat Josh Taylor now in a, I'm not saying you have to have a fight with someone if that's not your style, but you can't just grab and hold all night and think you're going to become a multi belt world champion or now just win a fight. For me, it's not the way I, to. Win I fight. believe the tagline for this one is "The hate runs deep," and it's been um. It's been sold as a grudge match, and various people have made the point this week that the the dislike between the two of them is real. Um, did you? Because I remember, right? I remember bumping into Chris Eubank on a on a Soho Street corner back in two thousand six, and he told me he was visiting a friend upstairs, and a friend upstairs happened to be you, because um, yeah. you must have had a flat around about Wardour Street or something similar. And and I said, oh, and I just typically enough said, oh, oh what you're friends now, huh? And he said, well, we were always friends. It's just the business we're in. But did you ever have like that kind of a uh, genuine antipathy with an opponent um, going into not, a fight? Not really, not, not really. And I think I was professional enough to to not allow that because it's just you know for me it's just it's just the uh, it's baggage. Just, it's, it's just a business. It's like you know I used to say he's going to buy me a car. He's going to get me a, what you know that was my yeah. and. Um, of course, when it got more, it was about titles. But coming up, it was just, you know, just give me a name, I'll show up. I'm, I'm not. There was a couple of people I probably I didn't like Lloyd Honigan, but uh, uh, we, ne we never we had a tour oh. a couple of times in the gym in the sparring, uh, yeah, yeah, and the, and uh, re had to pull us apart. You know, there was literally bell rang. We never stopped. Everyone piled in. It was the east. Where was that? The Beckett or F, yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of times, and um, and then uh, you know the, we had to train at different hours because because I had a 
so I had a turret with him, like in the changing room. I walked in and I have no grudge against anyone. I went to shake his hand, he wouldn't shake my hand. I said, Nice, Do you know what? Him. It's funny you say that, Gary, because there was an ex pro friend of mine called John Benny, Scottish fella, but London based, who trained at the Beckett in that kind of era. You may, he may have passed cross paths with you, and he said Honeygum one time just hit him for no reason. I'm talking about their shadow boxing, and they're in the ring. Oh, I think Lloyd Honeygum was shadow boxing in that tiny ring in the Beckett. And John Benny was in the gym, starting to warm up himself, or just maybe about to start his workout, and was looking at Honeygun, or so Honeygun thought. And Honeygun had just, had just get, taken a swipe at him for no reason while he shadow boxed and actually yeah. hit him. Um, I went in, I was really happy to meet him, and open, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, nice to meet you, we we're going to spar, and I put my hand out, and he just looked at me and just walked away. No, no smile, no hello. And uh, I, 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 I said, he said... I said, "What the fuck's that?" And and uh, who was it? I think it was Bobby Neal or, or yeah, the trainer. Yeah, his trainer. He just said, "Man, no, you know, he's, he's, he, leave him." I said, "Fuck, leave him! I'll fucking kill him!" You know what I mean? I, was like, I got into like I was, you know, but young, headstrong kid, and and yeah. um, and I was a little bit bigger than him. Uh, you know, I was a weight above him, and I was yeah, I was, you know, that was an advantage for me. And uh, of course, he's a very good fighter. I handled him. I thought pretty well in the spa, but we got to such a tear up. It was like a fucking fist fight and uh, and they pulled us apart and then it was trying to get to each other. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, uh, you- he, just, he just didn't, you know, I, I he just didn't like, uh, I don't know if it was a race thing. Cause he used yeah. to always come in with like the Jamaican hats and the black, you know, memorabilia. Uh, I don't know. A race for me is, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I don't like anything racial. You know what I mean? It's like, anything motivated to the I don't like that. I think people are people. Uh, I think it should not be an issue. But of course, some people are, some are not. But he had a big issue. Um, it's like when Hopkins said to Kalzaki, no white man will ever beat me. You know, that bothers me because it means somewhere in inside him, and maybe he has reason. Maybe as history, uh, I don't know, but I don't think there's any room in it. For, you know, we're all just trying to make a living. All fighters just trying to do what we well, do. You know, the well, shit, you, obviously, Minter, Alan Minter, the other way around, wasn't it? Famously, he was dogged for the rest of his kind of life. That legacy was slightly lurking behind it. The shadow with was, Hagler. yeah, with Hagler. Supposedly, said, "I'll never let a black man take my title. I will never lose my title to a black man." Um, which he, he may have said that because when you think about it, Gary, in the context, you're you're a couple of years older than me, and you remember a time when things were much more racist. Certainly on our side, on the Caucasian side, when you're white and you grow up in a certain culture, you hear things, don't you? That things that would be absolutely unacceptable today, and people just wouldn't say, wouldn't think, and wouldn't feel. They might feel it still. I don't know, but you know what I mean. It was. Yeah. We remember a more racist landscape, don't we? Uh, when when a man my, might have said something like that. My best mate growing up. And this is somewhat what broke my heart. I had a, a friend called Derek Murray. Yeah. And there were not many black kids in the school, and, and I became his friend. And there was not many black kids in, in, in the town. And uh, he had a lot of racial issues. And I, I mean, him became best friends. And so I would always, you know, protect him and, and be, you know, back him. And one day I sat him down. And he had an issue, of course, but he, but he had every right because he was so racially, you know, segregated and, and, and abused yeah. by all these fucking idiots. Uh, 
And one day I sat him down. I said, why, you know, why, why are you that way too? I said, I know you have reason for that, for that. He said, you know, Gary, he said to me, you're the only person I've ever met that when we fight and I call him a C-U-N-T, right? He said, that's all I call him. He said, everyone else, when they have a fight, they say you're black. You're black. Yeah. And he said, you're the only person who doesn't say that to me. And, um, and so I understood his, his issue. Uh, evening, Julian. I understood his issue and, uh, and, it, and I'm sure Lloyd had his issues. Uh, but I say what I say to, to people. I just did a masterclass in Bulgaria with a girl yeah. who was very defensive in, um, we do a repetition exercise where you sit with a partner and you repeat and it's very intimate. And she had massive issues with men. And they, she wouldn't even want to do the exercise. Yeah. And they would sit and then she'd pull her chair back and then she'd be extremely rude. And, and it was hard to watch. And so it's a, it was a new class. So I took the kid out and I sat in. And, um, and she tried it on with me, but I've got much more experience than this young actor, you know, and, and I know the yeah. exercise. And uh, I said, I know you may have issues with men, and I'm sorry if you've been hurt before, but 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 I didn't do it. And she looked at me, and you know, she she crossed over. Something happened, yeah. Uh, and she made a really great breakthrough, and she ended up hugging me, and it was I felt very happy and rewarded for that. And uh, you know, I understand people who've been uh, hurt in the past, but I yeah have to try and be open to new people you to know? overcoming those prejudices and there's some kind of default uh, fear of i was broken down under i've had a bunch of experiences with um other people and and race people but all was positive i was broke down on the freeway once in la middle of the night three in the morning and i got a flat tire and i was in the middle of nowhere almost no lights on a freeway and i pulled over on the hard shoulder and a car stopped and i looked in the mirror and this big black dude got out who's about fucking eight foot tall and yeah. i thought what the fuck and you know i, I thought I, I i just had a weird feeling and it, and he walks up and they opened the window he said yo and it was raining freezing cold are you okay i said i said I've got a flat tire and he fucking got under the car in the rain and took my tire off yeah and it, I, I was almost crying. He was fighting to get the wheel off, and he, he was soaking in dirt all over me. He finally fixed my tire, and I said, "Hey, man, thank." And I went to try and give him something. He went, "No, it's okay, it's okay." And I, and it broke my heart. And I thought, "How the fuck can people judge people without you know?" Like it changed my life, and it wasn't that I've ever had any issue ever, no. but it made me feel like, "Wow, like how bad people can." judge and, and and just have issues with things like just for fuck's sake be open to everybody there's good white people there's bad white people we know that there's good black people, but they're just people i don't think we yeah, can i gotta say i mean i lived in harlem for for, for some time back about 20 odd years ago and i never experienced any problems with with with, with black people in harlem at all you probably you encountered this yourself when you're english and white they they, they kind of like you a lot of the time. I mean, you know, it, it, there's a novelty and there's some, I don't know, that everybody was just curious and friendly and, and all the rest of it. There wasn't any kind of, didn't feel any of it at all. I mean, it, people said it was a dangerous area, which no doubt it could, could be, you know, some of the yeah, time. I've, 
I've never had an issue. And uh, in fact, I think most of my friends now, uh, I'm in LA, uh, most of my friends, I think if I had a percentage of friends, I would say 70% are black. Real good friends. Like I've got yeah. brothers, a guy called Brian LaRoders, but he used to manage Stevie Wonder. He's probably my best friend in LA. Yeah. And he takes me everywhere. And it's funny because I go out with him and we go, like he used to have Sunday dinner at his house and Stevie Wonder was there. And like, oh, because he managed Stevie. And so it, it, there would be uh, Oprah, all the, but it, I'd go in a room, it was 50 black people and meet the only white guy there. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, He's like my brother, and so I uh, no, it's uh, I just don't like it. Um, I understand it, and I understand uh, a lot of uh, black people have every right to be, but I think it'd be nice if they can give other people a chance. And but uh, you know, it is it is it is a uh, an issue for years, and it, it may never change. I would hope it changes, but uh, I don't like to be around it. You know what I mean? It's so, and somehow Lloyd Hunnigan has taken us down that road. Um, but um, one more Lloyd Hunnigan story while I'm on it, and then we'll get on to the, the Canelo Alvarez uh, situation. Um, did you hear the story that supposedly Lloyd was nailed on for Sports Personality of the Year, BBC Award, um, for 1986? Why shouldn't he have been? Because of that tremendous historic win over Donald Curry in, um, in Atlantic City. And then... He didn't get it in the end because he couldn't be bothered to come and accept it. He couldn't be bothered to show up to the ceremony because Ambrose Mendy tells me he was busy with Maria Whitaker that particular weekend in Sconson Hotel, you know, taking advantage of that little kind of situation. And uh, and he, he said he couldn't be bothered to, to actually go and get it. So apparently they gave it to Nigel Mansell instead. You ever hear anything about that? I remember that whole event that he was supposed to get it. I, I don't remember that, why. Th thanks for telling me, but I don't remember what happened. But yeah. I remember the year that there was taught that he was going to get it and then he didn't, yeah. I mean, too too busy banging a glamour model. I'm sure you can relate to that. Despite what anything you, you may not have seen eye to eye with Lloyd. I'm sure I would you have can... took the award, to be honest. <laughs> you did say again? What? I would have took the award. You'd prefer, yeah, because because you know what, Gary, you can be like, I, I can go bang a glamour model tomorrow. Let me I'm get the award after today. the award ceremony, yeah. Um, and plus the fact you'd have been like, listen, if I take this award, I'm only going to probably bang more glamour models, and if I don't, keep this momentum rolling. So very yeah, short-sighted, yeah. Lloyd, really, when you think of it. Yeah, short-sighted, but uh... in any case, I'd have chose Maria. Says uh, Julie. Julian's not with you. Julian said he'd have gone with Maria Whitaker, but she was my mate, Maria. She was a great girl. Yeah. Right. Uh, so anyway. Um, there was speculation about, there still is speculation ongoing about Canelo Alvarez's next move. Uh, we know that the date will be May the 4th for his next um, fight. But a lot of people were talking about the Benavides situation, who I believe was his mandatory with the WBC. Um, certainly, Benavides is an exciting, young, aggressive fighter. You know, he's, he's done a job on Andrade and on Caleb Plant, etc. He wants to fight Canelo. He's pursuing the fight. Canelo doesn't seem as fussed about the fight. Uh, doesn't seem as keen about the fight. So um, he is not being ordered to face him as a mandatory yet. So we know that Canelo had grace to fight who he likes on May the 4th uh, before the mandatory was imposed on him. People were saying he was going to fight Jamal Charlo, not to be confused with Jamel, who he fought back last September. Um, so the situation is that... Um, Canelo was supposed to be making a big announcement in the week, which never really unfolded as a big announcement. People said he was going to leave for PBC because people are saying Al Heyman's PBC are broke and they cannot guarantee his £35 million 
purse. He, he's get he's, he's on a thirty five million guarantee every time he fights. They said they couldn't put that money in escrow, so he was going to leave PBC. He didn't. Um, and then, long story short, Samson Lekowitz, who's Benavidez promoters, uh, posted yesterday on X, used to be called Twitter, uh, that. PBC have now offered him fifty-five million to fight Benavidez next, and Canelo has turned it down. Canelo's side denies that. Eddie Reynoso has denied that. Canelo's trainer manager, but um, it can I be honest with you? I, I understand all of that, and I'm all for mandatory. But I think in Can- if I was Canelo, let's say you're Canelo, Ben, and just think about this and the resume that he has. Yeah, I, I, you know, with that resume comes a certain ego. Uh, and 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 with that resume comes a certain amount of it's like he's like the golden ticket for everybody. Whoever fights him makes a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I think at this stage of his career, he's at the end of it. He wants to fight who he wants to fight. I honestly don't believe he's scared of uh, Benavides. I think he's, no. he thinks. He, I don't think. I think he thinks he doesn't have a resume to demand anything from me. I'd rather fight. Crawford, who's undisputed legend, who people are saying pound for pound, whether or not he's small, or Crawford's pushing for the fight. It's a more interesting fight. For but him. he's not going to fight Crawford either. Definitely not. Made no, no. But I'm saying there are more interesting fights for his in his head than Benavides. Benavides never won anything. He's sure he's a top contender, but there's a well, lot. He of... can't win anything if he don't get a shot, can he? But right. The funny thing. But let uh, you know, he's. Um, I don't think. I don't think it, he's. He's running from anyone. I think he's just trying to get as as much legacy fight as he can. If he never fights Benavides, and ben, let's say Benavides gets beat in his next fight, he he will be forgotten anyway. That the, the issue that he never fought Benavides, but uh, and he'll be remembered for beating Crawford if he fights. He'll be remembered for being. I think he's at a stage of his career where he feels he can pick and choose who he wants. Uh, but I don't think he's a fan. I think, I think he, he may end up just because of all the noise fighting Benavides. And I think he'll beat him too. He's always been at a stage of his career where he can pick and choose, or certainly for the last 10 years, is it fair to say? This is not a final phase strategy. This is this is the blueprint. I'm not necessarily knocking it, but that, that is what it is, right? Um no, but I if you if you if he was offered 55 million, why wouldn't you do that? Um and I don't know. I don't think it's a money thing for him anymore, honestly. I think he's one of the richest fighters in history. So I think you know whether it's 55 or 45 to fight someone he'd rather fight. And I don't think it's, again, a fear. It's about being, getting named, you know, to getting ticks on the belt, who he wants now, because he's got limited maybe a year, two years left. He's going to be out. Um, but if if there's that much noise made about Benavides, I think he'll, he'll do it because he won't want to not be respected for not doing it. So he's getting Benavides and, and everybody's doing a good enough campaign to make it happen. But um, I just think he deserves to do fight whoever he wants. It's uh, Julian his. McGowan has said, like Hagler, Hagler didn't fight Kinchin or Shuler or Harold Graham in the last two years because it didn't, they didn't excite anybody and he chose who he, chose who he wanted to fight and he says, let Canelo do the same. I think Julian's correct because it's like when you've done what he's done, he, he, he's he's beat everybody. Uh, he's fought well, every, everybody, and and, and uh, I mean he's almost beat everybody. And then he took he's two, um, the, the, obviously Mayweather who took him to school, uh, yeah. and uh, the bowler did similar. 
And um, yeah, so um, and he's got and he's lost more fights than that, hasn't he, Gary? He's lost more fights than that morally. Well, he's had he's had some interesting uh, hand raises, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But he's, uh, I think, I think with every fighter, you know, we have ego, and he he thinks he's earned the position to pick and choose who he wants, who who he gives the golden egg to, because whoever fights him is going to make twenty million or whatever they're going to get. 10 million, still more than anybody else. So, and I think also when you get to his position, when you get people like Benavides who are banging on him, slagging on him, he thinks, I'm not going to give this fucker a payday because it's personal then. Do you know what? That was always Ricky Hatton's um, argument against Junior Witter, wasn't it? That was always Ricky Hatton's stance uh, publicly on the Junior Witter fight, which British fans certainly were clamoring for. He said he was never going to let him make that money and he didn't have to do it. And he did, so he didn't, you know. And we know Tyson Fury only gave Chisora the fight to give him retirement money. Yeah, exactly. That was an exercise, you know, in, in, yeah, in, in giving a friend a, a payday. Yeah. yeah. And I think that when you get to that stage, you, you can do that. Uh, um, but yeah, Mark. Like Mark just said, uh, Canelo would want to uh, avenge Beevil. I think I think he would, but I think he also might know that he can't. Um, Thank you. you. Know. <laughs> exactly that. It's. I think if he, he would, if he could. Yeah. It wasn't. It can't have been fun that fight for him. I know that he he had a degree of delusion into you know at least publicly about saying that he doesn't think he lost the fight. Well, we all know he did. He lost it by the streets. But yeah. um, I think that that's the problem. I was about to say the same when I saw Mark's comment that. I think he, Canelo is probably well aware that that'll be a very difficult fight to avenge. I think Canelo is one of the well, I can't say lucky, um, but if you look at his resume, although he's beat everybody to a degree, when he's fought the real creme de la creme, like like Floyd, completely schooled him. Bivol yeah. pretty much schooled him. Um, Caelan Plant. Sure, he beat him, but who's Caelan Plant really in the terms of legends? He's not. And so no. he's not. When it's come to the real, real top, top, top. Defining fights. Defining, he's lost. Well, the thing with Golovkin. What's Golovkin. interesting, it's a bit Golovkin. like uh, Mike Tyson. Like Mike Tyson never avenged any of his losses. And, uh, no. and, and I think Canelo may be that. Whereas you look at the Ray Leonard, you look at the Lennox Lewis's, you, they're all avenged losses, you know. Um, and, and so that, that for me is something that is one of the greats, Canelo. Is, no one can take his, his, his resume away. But when it comes for me to think, like if I was a kid wanting to fight like someone, it wouldn't be Canelo, it would be Ray Leonard. It would yeah. be, you know, some of the... Well, did you see Canelo recently saying that he'd have beaten Ray Robinson, he'd have beaten Carlos Mons and they would have... his mind. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I think it'd be interesting, you know, to see where Canelo's legacy settles. And when we talk about people being great fighters, all-time greats, or whatever, I I do believe we need to let that that legacy marinate for a couple of years, and, and we look back on it when we we have a better sense of perspective on these guys. But I do remember Montel Griffin, who's always quite opinionated and can be outrageous at times. He said. After the Callum Smith fight, he said Canelo may wind up the greatest Latino fighter in history. And he said he sure as hell ain't got 16 losses when he was referring to Roberto Duran. 
But see, Montel is very statistic focused. He's always arguing about basketball too, and Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And I don't know anything about that, but I see it go on day after day these arguments. And he's always about numbers. He's always about numbers, like as if they don't lie, but they do lie. You know, or they well, look, at, look at Callum Smith, and look at Bert. What is the name? Bertavia. Yeah. Look what Canelo did, and look what Bertavia did. That shows yeah. levels, right? Well, yeah, but it also shows. I mean, uh, uh, the risk. It shows weight and size. But Callum's is, a big boy, and he's not a small. You're right. Plus the fact, Gary, if our if our if our third if our third number was here tonight, what would he be saying about weight and size? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think right. I think it was very evident with Bertabiev that he was he was he he was out of his league a little bit. Uh, and I love. I'm a massive Callum Smith fan. I think he's a beautiful boxer. He's a great puncher. I love his style. I'm a massive fan. You know, he got mugged in a car park that night, and I think it, it, and he admitted it, uh, and he said after the fight, you know, it's heartbreaking when you realise you're not the best. And uh, applaud it's to Callum. He's not one of these who said I had a bad night. He's not one of yeah. these with any excuses. He said I got beat by a better man, and and it showed. Uh, but he had a much more competitive fight with Canelo. Um, well, you know what, Callum was. I don't think he was remotely competitive with Canelo. He was just there at the end. Yeah, but he was. It was not. It wasn't battered like. Yeah, against like he was with. with like it, on the from from round one with Berta if it was. He was like it, I was uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, you knew you knew that the writer was on the wall, and he was very unlikely to. Yeah, he's like a whole other level to what he, the Canelo fight. It was like, but so so anyway, Gary Canelo has said he's not fighting Munguia. Apparently, he dismissed the um, possibility of fighting a Mexican. That was one thing he said when he made the announcement on Mexican TV when people said there was a big announcement. Um, he didn't leave PBC, although people are saying they're skint and they and they can't afford to hold him. Um, so he's not going to fight. He said he's not going to fight Jamal Charlo. He's not going to fight Jamie Munguia. He won't be fighting Terence Crawford, and it appears that he won't be fighting David Benavides either. So you got to you got to start to wonder who he, who he will be fighting because obviously if you say he wants legacy fights and he wants big big really meaningful fights or just big glamorous fights or crossover fights, I'm wondering who it's going to be on May the fourth. I don't know if you've is there anybody we haven't thought of? Who's there? Let's list the top five. Has, has he the, fought them all? The top five super middleweights, or because the thing the thing is we, we're talking about guys who are not. We're talking about other guys, aren't we? Like Crawford in the mix, who's not a super middleweight. No. And when, you know what? When when someone says what's the top five of any division, I just say according to who anymore. I, I've lost the plot because they lost the plot a long time ago. I I had to remember which mandatory Benavides was, I, but I realised it's a WBC. As far as I'm aware, Canelo still holds all the super middleweight belts, so he's the undisputed super middleweight champ of the world. When you ask who the top five is, you could go to the four sanctioning bodies, you get four different top fives. My independent top five, I don't know if I have one. Um, do you? I mean, with Benavidez is one of them, and that's the fight that people want to see. Same way that people want to see Terrence, boxing people who know what they're watching, they want to see Terence Crawford fight Jerron Ennis. But Jerron Ennis has, has got an interim title, or no, sorry, he's got the IBF proper title now, hasn't he? Um, because Crawford relinquished it. So, and he's going to fight a guy called Cody, Cody something. I forgot his other name, to be honest with you. Um, do you see what do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just looking now. Um, 
Julian says Betterbeev is so clever and deceptively so. I think he beats Bivol, but that's a great fight. Where is the next great American 175-pound king? Where's the next great American light heavyweight coming from? He also says, I can name about six champions, but I've no interest in belts. I've separated my thinking from them. And so have I, Julian. I have, I have to look at it that way now because you, you can't keep up with this situation anyway, like I say. And, and this whole fashion, here's the thing, right, Gary, while we're on it, with, um, with David Benavidez, it was also announced yesterday that now he will fight, uh, what's his name, Alexander Vorzic. Remember the guy who got beat by Better Beaver back in 2019? Was a tight holder right. himself, trained by Teddy Atlas. He's going to fight him for the inter for the WBC interim light heavyweight belt. Now, Iceman John Scully was raging on Facebook and uh, Twitter last night, saying this is wrong. Artur is the WBC champion. That is that. Why the hell are you going to declare one of these guys the interim champion? What they do? They can't just have a mandatory anymore. They have to have a champion of sorts for the belt because they can rent yeah. the belt to him, can't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I just looked. At, there's no super middleweights left for him to fight. Except for Benavidez, right? Except for Benavidez. Benavidez. Yes. Uh, so why not fight him if you if you have Billa, this plan is Morel. I think that's the only fight he can. I think that would really help his legacy for publicly. But uh, there's only Benavidez, uh, Mongia, Banzinian, and I don't know him. Shiskem, Pancheco. No, there's no one. Uh, there's really no one that he hasn't. That he really that that holds a, a status no. for him to beat. So, so, if we're narrowing it down, then uh, so uh, Gary, we're looking at the, the the most meaningful, attractive options as far as we're concerned. Then would be a Bivol rematch, but we don't fancy his chances. The Crawford fight, which is very intriguing, and I know the Silk fancies Crawford. Benavides, uh, the Benavides fight. So we've got Benavides, Bivol, or Crawford is what we come up with, yeah, more yeah. or less. Yeah. yeah, and I would I would fight Benavides first because uh, if he is on the slide, I would I would get that out the way, uh, yeah. and then and then he's got an option of or or Bivol maybe. Um, I, I'd like to see Bivol fight Benavides. That'd be an interesting fight. Uh, well, if this is a thing, if if, if suppose that uh, Benavides because Bivol said he'll do one sixty eight. He did. He said he'd fight Canelo at 168. But here's the yeah, thing. So Suppose Benavidez doesn't get the chance at Canelo. He's going to fight Vorzic for the WBC interim light heavyweight title. That puts him in a mandatory position to fight the winner of Betabiev and Bivol, which is going to be happening in June um, in Saudi, right? Yeah. An interesting so, fight would be if Bivol were to lose, um, which is highly likely, um, it would be an interesting fight then. I think Bivol play. beats better be of, actually. Really? Yeah. That's another it, one. Unless the guy stops him, Bivol wins the fight, I think. That's another one you'll lose. We, well, we'll see. We'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see. The Silk, the silk is, is very obsessed with that scoreline, by the way, you know, because he's, what is it? It's like nine, he's nine and three, you're nine and four, and I'm ten and six. When you get to our age, you get little victories. Um, yeah, you think it should be me? I guess if I was ahead, I'd, that's when we'd see if I was obsessed with it or not. It should be me that really wants to score points off you two because I didn't achieve anything compared to you guys. So he no. should be quite satisfied with his legacy without needing to beat you and me in a predictions league, you know. But um, we shall see. Uh, obviously, it's only two weeks away from Joshua and Gano, of course. We will go in more depth 
inevitably next week, but it's only two weeks away. Um, you, how are you feeling about that with a fortnight to go? Um, I think it's. Um, I think I think Joshua breaks him down. I think Styles uh, make fights. I think he, uh, he he breaks him down, and and I think he 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 get he possibly either a points win or a, a late stoppage. Yeah, uh, I would hope if he doesn't, then we got we have to give plaudits to this. The, you know, Engano, he must be very very good because uh, I think the Fury fight was you know it it was an event, and I think. Uh, Everyone can have a bad night, not prepare well, which I've said all along. I think I think we didn't get the Tyson Fury we want. But look at the state of him physically compared to the recent photographs of him. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that uh, uh, if he if he but it, but still if he I mean Tyson Fury in the worst shape in his life beats most of them. Uh, but I think AJ will. You know, I think he should he should really do a number on him, and I think the styles suit. Um, yeah, AJ. I, th- I think, uh, but the but the one issue is is that if he does engage, uh, and and which Ngarno will try, and and that will suit AJ. But also, he's also he is oh, in the firing line if if he gets hit. But I don't know how hard hit uh, how hard. Um, you know, they all say Angarno is the biggest punch in the world. Like the shot that he caught Tyson Fury was a glancing shot on the, head. the head. Other than that, there was never any danger throughout the fight. He never looked like he did any damage. So I don't know in a boxing ring how hard he hits. We'll see. But uh, I think Fury that... was never in a moment's trouble. I don't think actually. You know, he went no, down, but I don't. Think... He just didn't did fight great, and but he was never in trouble. He was never. Uh, he... No, I think that I think I think that. Engarn, who's come in with this crazy, uh, everyone's got this phobia that he hits that hard. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he does. You know what I mean? It's like everyone knows the UFC guys. Uh, they're not strikers, most of them. Most of them are pretty limited with hands. So one of them who's decent gets this, you know, resume that they're amazing uh, punches. But I, I don't. I don't believe. I believe the MMA guys that. Sure, a little boxing knowledge is good for them, but the wrestling jujitsu is what makes them extremely well, dangerous. What he did show against Fury was a reasonable boxing IQ. I yeah, thought. be able to switch and comfort. Yeah, a comfort, a comfort level. When, when Fury switched, he switched. Yeah, comfort level. He was. Uh, he had a good head on his shoulders. He never looked out of place. He, he, no. he had. He, he looked yeah competent. So yeah. against a very, I mean, could have been. He, he obviously he got up for Ngannou, biggest night of his life, I'm sure. And so yeah. the Ngannou at his absolute best couldn't beat Tyson Fury at his absolute worst. So, uh, I mean, yeah. that's the reality if you look at it that way. You say Fury was definitely not his best on that night, physically or mentally. You could tell he was not in the best shape, but the worst shape I've ever seen him. So Fury and his worst night beat Ngannou at his best night, but. Uh, I think the the Joshua fight will answer a lot more questions, and I will be the first to give Ngannou all the credit in the world if he can beat Joshua in any kind of fashion, points or any way, or even make it competitive. Then he's a good. Then he's a lot better than 
what we think. And I don't think we should uh, limit his skills just because he's only had a few fights because he has been a professional fighter for many years and at the top level. So Joe reckons AJ is going to jab and run all night to uh, Ala Ruiz too. No, I don't think no. so. Don't think so. I think he'll. I think he'll break him down, but then he'll start putting shots together. I think. I think he'll be um, cautious. Uh, uh, I think he'll be cautious, uh, but I think he'll be much more pro. Uh, much more pro uh, getting into it. You know, letting them hands go a lot more on this fight. I think he'll look at him for a little bit, work him out, and then go to work. Mark says, I think Fury made Ngannou look better than he is due to being either complacent or out of condition. I would expect AJ to show Ngannou's limitations. And I, I agree I, fully. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of boxing people, we very much desire that outcome, you know, from a point of view of um, being pro boxing and, be, and being in love with boxing. And this is our world, right? So I think most of us want AJ to do a number on him for, for the team. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it's a big issue if 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 he can come in but yeah, I mean, <laughs> if he can come in and take the top two heavyweights uh yeah and uh and get away with what he's doing then all credit to him but i don't think i don't think we should uh, I, I think that would that would underline that he's a very exceptional fighter athlete but i don't think it covers all it it might it might not speak very highly of this particular era. But can you imagine, for instance, a combat athlete coming from another sport in the eighties and and shaking the hell out of Larry Holmes in his first professional boxing contest? I can't picture it. No, no. Um, but I think I think that if Ngannou does do a job on on AJ in any way, shape, or form, uh, it just may underline that he. Personally, he's a very special athlete, you know. Uh, yeah. We know he's had a spe special uh, life and a special journey, so and showed incredible character. Uh, so he might be a very, very special athlete, but I think he would be a, a, a one-off. Yeah. Not, not, because yeah. Mayweather-McGregor proved everything we thought we knew, didn't it? As far as from a boxing side of things, it proved that whatever much of a puncher he was and however much bigger and stronger he was, it didn't do him any good at all, any of it, did it? And and so that and I, you know, I told you I talked to Floyd about it, right? Yeah. And Floyd said I carried him, yeah. literally. And I said, why? Because I was so angry. I said, like, you should have got him. And he said, because if I'd have got rid of him in a round, it's over. But he said, he's going to fight again. And he said, I will promote him, which yeah. is going to happen. And he said, whether it be Pacquiao or whatever, and we'll make another couple hundred million. But he said, he said, I, I, uh, we had the plan from round eight, nine, just go to work. And, uh, and, and he, and he went, and he didn't even hurt him. He just pressured him. Yeah. He just he just walked him down, and within a round of putting the pressure on McGregor, it was over. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and, but, but he said to me very clearly, and I thought, thought, wow, he's he's an incredible businessman, you know. But that's what he said he, to me in Vegas. That's he did. He, when did when was that conversation? I was in Vegas a couple of years ago, and yeah. uh, we went. I was with my girlfriend, um, and we went to a strip club for fun. Yeah. We was and uh, he 
I said hello, and we sat. He sat with us. We had a conversation, and uh, and I said to him, "What happened with McGregor?" And uh, and, and he, he said, "Come on, you know, very very off key." And uh, he said, "I said, why didn't you just get rid of him just for the?" And he said, uh, "Business." He said, "I'll make another couple hundred mil, put a fight, and I'll promote it." And I said, "Okay." And I still am a bit more. I'd like I'd have liked to just blitz him in a round just to prove, you know. But uh, business is business. Um, yeah, and I think he only told me. I think I, I think at the time they may have been somewhat friends. I think now they they're not so much. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe they're falling I out. Think they, had a, they had some kind of a, you know, uh, maybe what was said or what wasn't. But um, yeah, I mean. Um, but anyway, that's the heat. That's what he told me, and I believe it because as soon as he started to put a little heat on him, it was done. Yeah. Um, so uh, you probably heard that Pacquiao uh, was refused any kind of special dispensation to take part in the Paris Olympics this year because that was his dream to finish his career with an Olympic gold medal. Um, but they said the, uh, I guess it's Aiba, or I don't think it's Aiba anymore because there's been all upheavals in the administration of. Uh, global amateur boxing hasn't there but whoever the governing body is I, I don't know if it's the Olympic Committee or whether it's the boxing uh, body but they said you can't do it the upper age limit is 40 and we're not making an exception for you you know what's strange Ben when I was an amateur you couldn't turn pro nah. you... and I don't like the idea do you Gary no because I one of my biggest not regrets is you know after I beat George Collins you know I was like you know I was in the England squad and they were about to go on this whole trip with me and Kevin Hickey as you know everybody wanted me to go here go there and fight internationally and uh and you know I thought uh, my big dream was to go to the games you know but I thought yeah. if I go and break my hand I lose the opportunity now 88 could have been you couldn't it Richie Woodall's place yeah and uh but it was three years uh I yeah. had to wait and I thought it's a long time and if something happens and then I so I turned pro on a blaze of uh, glory. Glory, yeah. Um, I mean, Dan Sherry said he did similar. You know, Dan Sherry was he was in the shakeup for the for the Olympics, which would have been, I guess, nineteen eighty eight as well. But Sugar Ray Leonard was off was as an offer on the table for Sugar Ray Leonard as his manager. You know, um, and he said, "I went with the sure thing rather than gamble something on a dream, which might, which you know, may get scuppered for one reason or another with the Olympic dream." You know, but. Yeah. Um, but Mine no, was like a long time, but I th imagine if they would have let me turn pro and then three years later go in the games. It, it's such an advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, Joe has said, didn't Rocky Marciano go back to the amateurs and lose to Carly Wallace? Yes, he did. That's true. So, you know, some people try to say that Marciano lost pro fights, uh, you know, or a pro fight under another name. That's not quite true. You know what it was, Gary? He turned pro under the name of Rocky Mech in... Um, Trying to think when it would have been. I guess it was like 1948, I believe. But don't quote me on that. Um, and he won it. Then he went back to the amateurs and had a couple. He had two, three or four. I think three or four amateur fights. He lost one of them to Coley Wallace, whose claim to fame was he played Joe Lewis in a TV biopic. And then he turned pro again. And he went from, he was 1-0 and with a few amateur losses, an amateur loss in between. Then he put the 48 together to make him 49-0. So he is legitimately undefeated in 49 professional fights, but he lost an amateur fight in between his debut and the other 48. 
Don't say I never teach you anything. Something like, what does Michael Caine say? Um, not a lot of people know that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, indeed, yeah, indeed, yes. Um, this is this is Cloudminder says. I think this is the fellow who knows Barry McGuigan. I think his name is Jim McGuigan, but he hasn't actually said anything else. Sorry. Oh, here you go, Jim McGuigan. Apologies to Gary for Barry's comments on the Eubank fight. He was wrong. There you go, Gary. There we go. That is closure, mate. Remember, this was. Eight months ago, this episode, remember? Yeah, was, thank you so much. Yes. I was, nice I was just a bit... I, I, I always loved McGuigan. I was really hurt. I thought, I just wish he would have been just not so, not so you know, one-sided. I, I love what Jim Watt commented on. He, he was, I think he was very honest. And even they even interviewed Michael Watson halfway through the fight. Yeah. And, and Watson said, if Gary keeps doing it, he wins, you know? Uh, so... Uh, um, you know, you can watch the fight. He, he walked and they talked to after round four, I think five, because they said Gary's winning every round. I mean, so when McGuigan was saying, you know, all the stuff he said, like it wasn't in the fight, it was, uh, you know, and then of course the, all the judges had me winning. So uh, I was like, okay, you know, and I, I just felt like that was commentating for the promoter who's hired him to do it, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that happens, you know. Uh, it shouldn't, especially not with ex-fighters, because I think we should have a certain moral code to each other. We know how hard it is, uh, and uh, I think we should give each other a fur whack, not be... Uh, uh, he's very kind, Cloud Minder. Thank you, and I appreciate him coming out and saying that, because obviously uh, I, I just appreciate it. Thank you. And, and, uh, Jughead, I'm sure that's not his real name, Imagine the christening on that in that event. Um, says I used to train at the Thomas of Beckett. Um, That's correct. Yeah, my amateur days. Gary Stretcher's training there at the same time. Gary Davidson ran the gym at the time. Yeah. I yeah, he was my first was trainer there. when I turned pro. Gary was yeah. Gary Davidson yeah. Because you know what? If I could see his picture, I bet I would remember him. I'm a good. I'm great with faces. Uh, yeah. Now I remember the days when Gary Davidson had it before Billy Ayr took it over. I don't know whether you'd already moved on by that particular point, but Billy Ed took it after Gary. Uh, there was a girl. We used, to, we used to go down the road to the Henry Cooper. Yeah. Um, I remember the, yeah, you know what? I never really went there. I went when it had changed to Maloney's Fight Factory. It was Eugene Maloney's Fight Factory, but it was the same site as the Henry Cooper from what I can gather. Um, and I went there just the one time when Alan Smith was, do you know what's funny? Boxing is such a small world, Gary. I'll give you an example of it. I went, I just got back from New York I was looking for some good sparring because I've been sparring in New York with some good fighters and all the rest of it. And I went to see the, I went to the, the Maloney's Fight Factory, spoke to Alan Smith. He was a bit sceptical. He said, most amateurs are no use to us and et cetera, et cetera. But he was training a lad called Rob Jeffries, who was just about to turn pro. Um, and he said, Rob has had 95 amateur fights. He's going to turn pro at lightweight, all, all the rest of it. Yeah. So fast forward to, I think it was 2021, uh, White Collar Show, Ilford Coliseum. Bad Boy Promotions that I'm involved with. One of the guys who's quite decent, he's basically, you almost think he was like a ringo. He's a black kid called Sheridan, just naturally talented, like a Harold Graham sort. You know what I mean? You can't hit him. And he's just got a natural sense of how to, how to land his punches. A natural. Uh, his opponent bottles it and leaves the, the, the uh, venue. So the DJ suddenly decided, said he used to be a boxer and he'd fight him instead. And it turns out to be Rob Jeffries. Because when a, 
he comes in and he loses, you know. He, uh, but he's a DJ. He's but he's got borrowed a gum shield and remolded it. He's got some shorts. He's got some trainers. One minute he's playing the music, the ring will get. Next minute he's fighting on the show. And when I said to him, "Fair play for getting in with Sheridan, mate," at the last minute being just a DJ, I said, "You obviously know your way around the ring, though." He said, "I'm an ex-pro," and I said, "What's your name?" He said, "Rob Jeffries." I said, oh, "I remember you. I remember you used to train with Alan Smith." But you find boxing is very circular like that, and everybody knows everybody one way or another. Yeah, and uh, I think that you know what I what I I see a well a lot now. Um, you know, the big thing now is podcasts and uh, yeah. all these different shows that, you know, there's talk sport, there's this, there's, you know. Um, I like to think, Ben, that that we are really honest about everything, you know, in regard yeah. to full merit. I mean, you correct me all the time, but I mean, but forgetting the, the fight facts, when it comes to, you know, scoring a fight, uh I think we're really honest about it, and I, I know like the Johnny Nelsons are pretty honest. I think, uh, but but uh, but I didn't like I didn't like what he said at the Capitol fight because he was so against Josh Taylor, and and I thought that's a bad call because no one has acknowledged you know the the fight the way it happened. Uh, yeah. But I think um, a lot of these guys now, it's like they they. You know they they're hired by whoever and they side with the fighters. You know what I mean? And I think that's unfair. I think it's, and it's rife, Gary. It's so rife. I mean, they... yeah, we should have a moral code. You know what I mean? It's not cool because, like, I respect all fighters, and it's not fair. Because you used to be able to be, you used to be able to be an enemy of a certain, you know, coming from a different position and still tolerated as the press, the freedom of the press. In this era, and and obviously. You have to. Do, you almost make a divide between who's actually press and who are just the bandwagon jumpers with their cameras or their camera phones and all the rest of it. But I remember when um, Claude Abrams was at war. It was because of loggerheads with Frank Warren back in two thousand three. He didn't like some of the things he said about Warren Promotions. So what they did in the end, uh, first of all, Warren said to Claude Abrams, "You're not welcome." He said, "I'm not withdrawing your press credentials, but you're not welcome at my shows." And then the next show Claude Abrams went to, they'd stuck him behind a ring post. They'd given the worst view possible. They'd done it deliberately, obviously. And Claude Abrams, his next move was he said, sorry, I can't cover the main event or any of the, the undercard for the big promotion at such and such last week because they put me in a place where you couldn't professionally cover it from. So there's just a blank, you know, uh, double page where there should have been a review here for this for this card. And, yeah. um, you know, it but... Gets, it gets very petty. You know, yeah. it's like now you're not allowed an opinion on any anything because you're yeah. offending someone. You know, uh, you should be able to have. A, I mean, there's a, there used to be a thing, freedom of speech, which has gone a long time ago. You know, it's uh, you can't say anything, you can't comment, you can't have an opinion because you're going to offend someone. I mean, come on. Uh, I think people should have a healthy disagreement on many aspects and in many topics, but you can't get it anymore. You don't get a free, you don't get a free uh, freedom of speech anymore because someone you're going to upset and um, everyone seems to have more rights than someone else. It's insane where the world's going. Mark uh, Flower has asked the question. He's in line with this. He said, who are your favorite pundits, commentators who amongst the ex-pros, the, the, the fighters? I love Jim Watt. Yeah, he, he was good, you know, and he got a lot of stick in the in the internet generation, you know, Gary. In the social media generation, Jim got slagged all the time, but he was good. 
It was I like solid. I love Red Gutteridge. Yeah, I mean, it is, I think Mark's talking about fighters here. Gutteridge was absolutely. Uh, you know, it's funny. He's not the greatest talker in the world. Um, but Roy Jones is very. He was pretty good. Yeah, you're right. Good, he, good insights. He, he's a little. He has great insights. If you really listen to what he says, he's really smart. You know, with, with the fighting, he's not the most eloquent how he no. gets it across. But if you actually listen to what he says, he's pretty brilliant at breaking things down. I also thought Foreman was really good. I know not everybody agree with me, but I thought George Foreman was commentating actually on a fight in in real time. I thought he was really good. Yeah. Um, who else is there? I think a lot, there's a few of them, I'm not going to mention the names, that are a bit fucking, like, boring. You know what I mean? Um, Paul Malinaji, people say, they say a lot of good things about him. But he I, got cancelled, you know, that Gary? He got cancelled, you know. He's very knowledgeable, you know. He's very smart at breaking things down and whatever. He's a bit too fast for me, a bit slick. Um, yeah. And, but you uh, know he got cancelled, don't you? For? He said... Racism, he said, systemic racism in this country is not only gone, it's long gone. He said, what we do have is classism. That's a different thing. Now, how the hell can you cancel a man for something as objective and academically based as that, whether he's right or wrong? No. I mean, Piers Morgan, remember, he got fired for something. Like, I, I'm not, like, I think he's great, Piers Morgan. Uh, yeah. In a lot of things, you know, I don't, I don't agree with everything he says, but I, I'm not supposed to. I, 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 you know, point, yeah. It's like that's why we have discussion. Yeah. And and if an audience can watch a discussion with with uh, differences that are educated, like don't have to agree, but at least be open to 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 know other people's opinions. Yeah. It's just like I, religion. It's like. You, you know, I have no issue with religion. If if every different religion, they should all go and pray side by side and be peaceful. Whoever you want to pray to should be your, you know, your, your yeah. preference. And, like, and, and do you know what? When this podcast gets bigger, we will have more issues, I predict, in terms of something. Michael, maybe not so much because Michael is just by nature inoffensive. The controversial things he says, they're all theoretical. They're all about weight or the jab's not important or body shots don't hurt or whatever. But he's not personally controversial. So, But with, with yourself and me, I think the more of an audience this podcast gets, as it will, we will have more issues with things we've said. Because at the minute, there's only this hardcore beautiful people who are watching And they'll go bit. back and they'll pull out yeah. individual segments out of context. I know yeah. I've had a few. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what can you do? It's like... My dad used to say as a kid, you wasn't born to please everyone, you know, just do your thing and just try and be a good man. It's like, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I try to talk off the sleeve and, uh, and if it offends someone, and just because I don't like certain things that certain people do, it, I'm, it shouldn't be an issue, you know? No. It's like, I, you know, I've, I've talked about Teddy Atlas in the past and, and I have always been a fan. I used to show his motivation stuff in the corners. Uh, you know when he when he was cornering people, but there's certain things he does now I don't like, but that's okay. You know what I mean? I'm sure if he met me, he things he doesn't like about me, but that's okay too. You know, it's like there's there's a lot of uh, I hate the fact that everyone's got to be so careful about what they say. And uh, yeah, 
It just it's tough not to be able a freedom of expression, you know, and it's long gone. In the, it's long gone, uh, and, and and I think it's you know that this comment you said, Paulie Molinari says he's. I don't know. Yeah, and that was, I think he worked. Who who was he working for? Was it Showtime? ESPN. It was either ESPN or Showtime, I believe. I think but he's Paulie... one of the most knowledgeable guys in the game. He's a little bit. A little, for me, he's a little bit slick, but um, and I've met Paul. He, he's just that way. He's that a New York kind of, you know. He's a yeah. Well, I've I've met him a bunch of times. You know, I sparred with him. I sparred at least twenty rounds at him in different segments of three and four. But he doesn't remember it, and it ended up becoming this big thing, really blown out of proportion. The the, the my troll, in fact, the, the the doughty detractors got hold of it. Somebody tweeted him years ago and said, "Did you ever spar with a guy called Ben Doughty?" And he says, "I don't remember it. No." And he says, and he definitely didn't spar me if he said it was in this particular month because I had a bad hand then. Which I say, I know I sparred in between. It was two thousand three, and it would have been between about May and August. Those were the times that happened. But and I remember who he was fighting at the time. He was getting ready for a guy called Shad Howard the first time, and I could tell another bunch of details from it. He doesn't remember, and even though I've seen him since, and I've like you know remembered the times to him, he just doesn't remember. But um. But it ended up getting blown up. It almost got so stupid that I don't feel like I can mention his name now on social media without somebody jumping on trying to claim that I'm... The, the, the inference, Gary, the accusation is I to, to, to inflate my credentials, I made up this whole story and anecdote about sparring Paul Malinaji several I'm rounds. I'm sure you'd have thought of someone better if that's what you was trying to do. I'm, I'm not being funny, Gary. Exactly that. I mean, I've um, I've got Sugar Ray Leonard. I've got interviews with Sugar Ray Leonard and you know, uh, where we're looking really close and buddy-buddy. I've got there's him hitting my hand, Sugar Ray Leonard, showing me a kind of joke combination. Um, there's various other things. I do have footage of moving around with um, Tim Witherspoon and Harold Graham and whatnot. Um, I do a show with Gary Stretch and Michael Elijah, for God's sake. But no, I, I pretended I sparred with Paul Malinaji to, to give myself the kind of virtual high heels in boxing. You know what, Ben, of all the things I know... Uh... About you, it's the furthest thing from who you are. So yeah, to, 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 to foster something. Character, because you oh. always pull me up if I'm not absolutely correct. Absolutely correct on every dust detail, exactly. Yeah, exactly. and you remember dates and times, and and so and for you, I would imagine, of course, you remember because it was a, it was great thing for you as a young amateur. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like I a, wasn't even that young. He was young actually, but I, I was thirty-three. But I've yeah, been but still, it's a great person as a someone to spar with. It's someone, yeah. you know. It's, I was, uh, I, I've been out the game a long time, and he was an up-and-coming brash hotshot from out of Brooklyn, uh, you know, New York, Bensonhurst, and um, and he reminded, you know, he, he was training with Billy Giles. It was Hector Camacho's old trainer that was wasn't lost on me. So yeah, it was exciting at the time, you know, to be sparring yeah, with him. So you, you would remember. Um, but no, he doesn't remember anyway. It is, it is what it is. But 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 like I say, he's a good, he was a, he was a good commentator, and it's uh, it's a shame he's that right. he was taken for the airwaves over something he's, that was. He's know, all right. As an opinion. I don't think there's many great ones. I don't think there's that many great ones out there right now. I mean, I I wish they'd have a bit more sense of humour, and and I think they yeah. have a bit like you know I've seen some of these fights, and I'd say I don't know whether they dug this up, this guy up for my grandmother beat him. You know what I mean? Because you, but you can't get away with it. But I would say it if that's what it is. I mean, this, you know, the, 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 some of these fights are so ridiculous when you see them, the mismatch. And, you know, I mean, 99% of fights now, you, it's all the red corner's going to win. 
you know yeah I mean? exactly so why not call that rather than why not call it and but, but then no one's going to hire you yeah. um, because you because the promoters who are supposed to be and again it's all business you know everything's business and it's wrong and it's like just say it the way it is but you can't because if you do you're not hireable did you like Glenn McCrory I like Glenn um yeah I just think that I would like to see someone with a, a bit more oomph. Um, I, do you remember Minter did a little bit? Uh, yes, yes. And I like Minter. Yeah, because he, he was doing that in that 1980, 1980s BBC era, Barry McGuigan fight, Barry McGuigan, Stevie Cruz, Barry McGuigan, Eusebio Pedroza. He was, he was in the studio usually and they'd come back to Alan. To feed in, you know. I like, to, um, I like what he said. Do you ever remember the the story about his cuts? Um, which which story was that? Brilliant story. So he said, you know, he turned pro and he had like uh, he was like fifteen and zero. Yeah. And he said he kept getting cut, and so Mickey Duff said, Alan. I want you to go to Harley Street. And he told me this story, and the way he says it's so unbelievably funny, the timing. He says, I went to Harley Street, and I see a doctor. And he said, Alan, he's going to check your eyebrows. He's going to check your skin. Uh, and he's going to check everything, and, and we're going to you know, see, find out why I keep getting cut, right? So he said, I went to the doctors, and he said, he said, he said, your skin's good, Alan. He said, your, your eyebrows are good. He said, your cheekbones are fine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Alan said, well, why do we keep getting cut? And the doctor said, you keep getting hit. <laughs> True story. Yeah. And so he said, he said, he says it like it's a joke. But it's true. He said, doctor, he said, well, why am I keep getting cut? The doctor said, you keep getting hit, Alan. So he yeah. said, I actually went back to, you know, to the drawing board and tried to, Work on my defense, and you know, because he said, but he was very, very funny, very comedic. Uh, I think Ricky Hatton would be a good commentator. Um, funny how they've never used him really, have they? They've never no, really used him, to be honest. You know, because he Ricky's passion seems to be for training and coaching. Um, and if I you think look Ricky at Hatton would be a, a great commentator. I think, uh, I think uh, if he wanted to do it, like you say, he might not want to. I said, I, th I think Tyson Fury might be interesting too. Sure. Um, I, think that, I think that'd be entertaining because it's safe. My grandmother beat him with this. You know, he, oh, be... Naz was good, wasn't he? Naz was good that time. Don't remember Naz doing it. Him and Duke McKenzie did it. I think it was on Channel Five. This is why it was the. Um, it was an unusual situation. Um, George Groves versus Chris Eubank Jr. back in 2018, I believe that was. And um, Naz and Duke McKenzie did it, and Naz was very outspoken. He was like. You're either good at boxing or you're not. <laughs> so that was his appraisal of the, the UBA. Yeah, I'd love football. some bit of space in the game anymore. Because you look, if we, we all talk about boxing, right? We all say it's a business, it's entertainment, and that's all fine and good. But we can't do that as a commentator. It should be a bit of, as long as you're honest, should have yeah. a bit of fun, should be entertaining. Um, I mean, when we look back at the great Reds Gutteridge, right? He was, he was excited to listen to. He was. And the way he would say, when Hagler and Hearns tried to decapitate each other as soon as the bell rang, Reg said, 
this is about unloading a whole load of carefully nurtured hate, isn't it? Yeah, and he's brilliant. And he has a fantastic voice. And uh, yeah, you know, he only had one leg. Yeah, because you you hear the Sonny Liston story. No, but I remember sitting in the office at Frank's office with him, and I was looking at his leg, and he had socks on and this shiny leg, and I thought, and I I didn't know at the time, and and but it looked like strange, like like uh, ah, thanks, Joe. I think they'd get. I think they'd get rid of me pretty quick if I did it. Um, but um, he had this shiny leg. I was looking at his leg, and he looked at me. He went, "It comes off." And I said, "Oh, yeah. oh." He went, "No." Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, he only had one, like a false foot. Well, supposedly, because at one point it was actually made of cork, apparently, but back at a certain point in the sixties, I guess. And he's he's supposed to freak Sonny Liston out once when he said, um. There were actually two stories, you know. Um, he, there were two separate stories I heard. One was that he said, well, you may think you're tough, Sonny, but I bet you can't do this, and has put a knife through his leg. Um, and Sonny was freaked out by it and was like, well, you know, well, um, oh, it was we just some kind of feat of strength. Say again? We both just did the nose at the same time. It was great. Yeah, synchronicity. Um, so the other thought, one I heard yeah. was... Sonny used to take stupid bets sometimes. He would bet on anything. He was he was up for a bet no matter what it was. So he'd take these rather bizarre wages. And at one point, he tried to bet. He said, no honky has less hair on his leg than a black man. And he said he could prove it. And Reg Guthrie said he'd take the bet. They pulled up the trouser leg each. And Sonny's obviously not not got an over amount of body hair or leg hair because he's a black guy and most of them don't have. And then Reg, Reg reveals the cork leg, which doesn't have polished. a single hair like on polished. it. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. yeah. Shiny, silky, yeah, plastic. Anyway, Ben. On that note. (laughs) On that note. um, Let's close this one up. Guys, thank you for uh, tuning in to Friday night's episode of Sugar, Silk and Stretch. I feel it's been a pretty good show. In actual fact, uh, well done to all involved. That will be me and Gary and yourselves. We couldn't do it without you. Please press the you know the subscribe button and the like button. You know it helps us grow bigger. That's what we want to do. Uh, just in closing, uh, Joe says, didn't Reg used to go swimming and take it off and start screaming shark, shark? More than likely, more than likely. Sounds very much like him, Joe. We'll be back on Sunday night. Hopefully the Silk will be there to join us. In the meantime, be lucky. Keep punching. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs>